Hey everybody, this is Bob Lament with Static Radio, and we're doing another Priorcaster today. Uh, my guest is C. Pleader Clow, and uh, he is the founder of the Independent Podcast Alliance. Uh, and he's going to talk to us about how he kind of got into these things and the uh, times that he was, you know, what he was doing pre-podcasting. So, uh, Peter, thanks for being with us today. And Great to be here. Uh, why, thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, in okay, <laughs> uh, with. Uh, Regard to audio, I became enamored with audio when I was very young. My father was a Red Sox fan, and the best way to hear the Red Sox games in York, Pennsylvania, was to get in the car sitting on the driveway, pointed north to hear WTIC out of Hartford, which was just the left of WBAL out of Baltimore, which was loud and clear. And so you'd find the Orioles game on BAL and tweak it just a little tiny bit to the left, and you'd get 1080. And we would listen to the distant signal radio, and I got infatuated by that and would listen to... AM radio stations all over the place. And then um, FM became uh, the music uh, of choice, or rather the music source of choice for uh, a younger generation. And the freeform FM station that we had in this town, we were fortunate to have one called Starview 92. And it was, uh, they took the name, uh, WR, it was WRHY Starview. And for a while they broadcasted in quad, uh, which uh, nobody had four years though, and nobody had quad receivers, but they did it. Uh, and so just for fun, it was just a fun yeah, thing to do. It was. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, I could brag about it. So yeah. um, I became really interested in, in radio, uh, both for the music part of it and just the, the idea of uh, uh, transporting yourself to another place uh, via the, the airwaves. And in high school, a friend of mine and I uh, took the opportunity to record a program for this, this WRHY radio station, which had a weekly uh, high school feature thing and they would have people and they'd come on and they'd talk about their school. My friend Randy and I were, uh, um, we took a different approach. We took a very um, Monty Python-esque approach, if you will, and had just this crazy, silly thing. I mean, we had live audio of the basketball game. It was just bouncing a ball in the basement, swish. And we, <laughs> we talked about I don't know. For some reason, we had Wolverines in the cafeteria, and we just made up all these stories. And uh, it, and so that was the first time I actually was you know on air. Um, but went to college and uh, and started in the dorm room. Uh, and this actually is uh, oh wait, actually you know, the eight track tape was from <laughs> the home recordings uh, when I was still in high school, where we uh, you know we did stuff on the home stereo. We brought a drum kit in. We had all sorts of fun. I haven't heard this in ages. I have not had an eight-track player in a long time. But um, I think about you have to get one of the plungers. Do you remember the old eight-track plungers? It was yeah. a, a square box where you stuck the eight-track yeah, in the side yeah. and it had a plunger on top to change the tracks. Oh wow! Uh, they had them the, on the uh, school bus. It was portable enough. I mean, it was like you know, yeah, a jam box or whatever you want to call it. The back in the day for eight tracks. Yeah. And we we moved on to the more advanced technology of the cassette when we were in college. Mm -hmm. And this one's uh, called the tape um or is it the tape but this Sounds was ominous. You know, again you know live on live from room 208 uh and um, we would drag people into the room to listen to it because that was our, our means of distribution until i got onto the college radio station which i did a lot for the next three years so you're doing then, sneaker net sneaker net yeah so everybody exactly was it really was around. yeah yeah come on in here uh, have some of this uh and uh, and enjoy this and yeah. uh, so it, it was fun. And I was also making Super 8 movies at the time, uh, which didn't have sound. Uh, but um, I really was a, really an audio guy. I never hung out at the TV station. I was just all about the uh, about the radio. And, and I still 
kind of go that way, even though I'm allowing you to record this video for future use. Uh, <laughs> I, I usually, it's, you know, I, I just always, you know, like the idea of uh, imagining what the person, you know, looked like. Uh, yeah, and yeah. it was always, you know, kind of disappointing when you actually met a DJ uh, because they, and it, they could look better or worse, but it, it was just not what you had in your mind. Well, uh, my, my experience has always been they rarely look better. They yeah. always look worse, unfortunately. <laughs> That's true. And a nice face for radio is, is right, a true exactly. thing. Exactly. But, uh, but, but I want to tell the audience, Peter and I, we look better. I mean, considering... Yeah. Well, sure. You know, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a benefit of being male that uh, we improve uh, as we age. Uh, you know, you just get this little gravitas, and you know, gray looks good on us, but not on others. Anyway, um, the um, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't want any feminist hate mail. Um, actually, I do want feminist hate mail. I, I'd love to read some of that. Uh, how many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? I, I know that's I not funny. So, <laughs> sorry. All right. Um, the, uh, that's radical feminists, actually. That's what I should say. Oh, okay. Um, the, um, it's an old, old, old inappropriate joke from an old inappropriate man. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I worked in commercial radio for a while, and, uh, and then I got into uh, radio advertising sales and sort of oh, like okay. you know, shadow careered in, in management and all that. And then when the internet came along in the 90s, um, I had by chance picked up the first issue of Wired Magazine. And uh, I, I remember clearly seeing a bus board on the side of a bus in New York for Wired Magazine. I went to the newsstand, the train station to come home and found it. And it um, was like, holy shit, this is, you know, this is the future. This is really what's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. And really got excited about it and had a Prodigy account and an AOL account and a CompuServe account. And uh, it really was very into, uh, you know, the early phase of the internet. And then when uh, Real Audio came along, I was working for a radio research firm and we were, you know, trying to use it at the 1.0. And we're going, this is, this is amazing. This is going to change things. This is, holy shucks. I mean, anybody can have a radio station. Anybody can have a voice. This is going to be amazing. And at one point, one of my... Um, client partners was uh, a guy who uh, I can't remember his name right now, unfortunately, but it's, we started off working on a different project and then he registered the domain mp3.com oh, and okay. his whole idea, you may remember mp3.com was yes. uh, you could upload your, um, I did, I your, did your, that. your songs to it. Yeah. And so just the idea of, you know, it was sort of like cloud storage uh, before they were calling it that. Uh, and then, you know, he basically, he was out to destroy the record companies uh, and, you know, to do in a way. Uh, and maybe that wasn't his real intention, mission, uh, call my lawyer. Uh, but um, it, that was really sort of the, the way it was. And to promote independence is where they ended up going because the major labels got very uptight about this. And rightly so, they were going to lose a lot of money. And the interesting thing is now why you can get 20 million songs on your Spotify account is the record companies actually are partnered. They actually were as part of the deal, they are shareholders. Mm -hmm. And I heard an astounding number the other day, which uh, I won't even quote it, but you can look it up. Um, and it actually was David Crosby on his podcast who said it, that the record companies are making about $50 million a day combined 
by the revenue that they are getting from the various streaming services where they made a deal. And that's, you know, part of how it all became available. Uh, yeah. And the artists are the ones getting screwed, but that's a whole, that's for another podcast. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's you know, always the case though. That's always, yeah, well, that's true. I'm, <laughs> it, it, you know, it was for a long time and then it wasn't. Uh, and you had the golden era of albums and, and CDs in particular where, you know, people made tremendous amounts of money, but now they're back to being troubadours again. The independent artist has to travel from town to town uh, and not just independents, but, you know, people who, you know, have had long careers. Uh, the only way they can make money now is to tour and to uh, sell merchandise or you right. know, you know, the various other things, but we're kind of going afield, but, you know, music and audio online has always been, you know, combined for me anyway. Um, so that's really sort of, you know, not just, you know, where I came from, but sort of how I think I kind of over answered <laughs> your question, Bob. No, that's okay. That's fantastic. So, but, uh, so yeah, so just like myself, you, uh, kind of got into this because you had an interest in audio and then, uh, also got into radio college radio specifically, uh, is where I came into this as well. I had a college radio show and, and that interest, uh, coincided, uh, with the the rise of the internet and uh and so then i'm like well hey uh, i can continue this college radio idea into the future and not be in college anymore and that's essentially what uh, i have done but uh so you obviously had a love of audio uh and that's part of of what what brought you to this what would you say uh, and also apparently i love the technology because we talked about just a moment ago about real audio and so forth which was mm -hmm. not uh, I would say an easy, uh, uh, you know, transition. So if you're working in kind of, you know, analog stuff, we talked about cassettes and so forth, and you're making the transition to real audio, which was to what I can remember since it's been so long ago was, you know, I ran a real audio server was a pain in the neck. It was a pain in the neck oh, sure. the software. Yeah. And, and uh, so yeah, you had to really want to do it. Right. Yeah, you really did. And it's something where, you know, it, it's kind of like if you think about when people would put together uh, fanzines, mm -hmm. you know, a very 90s, you know, thing, yep. and they would, you know, duplicate them and staple them and mail them out right. uh, or mailing out newsletters or whatever. And that's, you know, that's blogging, essentially. Or and now it's, you know, any of the social media, it's your Facebook. It's become right. really easy. The, the, the technology has come into play where, um, you know, where it's made it simple. I... <laughs> Years ago in the 90s, when people were saying, I wasn't going to put my credit card on the internet, uh, you know, and I'm not going to do this and all that right. stuff. And, you know, I, I said at that point that whoever comes up with a way to make 99 cent, you know, payments simple enough that teenagers can do it is going to mm -hmm. make billions. And of course, Apple and uh, you know, Amazon yeah. did, uh, yeah. you know, and, and they and they did. And I didn't. <laughs> but uh, the. <laughs> um, the, the way that, you know, it always unfolds is you always have, uh, you know, pioneers and early adopters, and then the early mainstream, the mainstream, and then, and then laggards. Right. And I'm not picking on your wife, but what you said, at the <laughs> what you said yeah, at in, the our conversation, in our, yeah. our pre-conversation about, yeah. well, when somebody in my family subscribed to a podcast, you know, that said to me that, okay, this is really, you know, big now. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, the, and actually I heard something the other day that um, the majority of new podcast listeners are female. 
it had oh, been yeah. a it had been a male you know dominated thing as most techie things you know tend to be uh but now you know it, it's become something which is well it's useful for everybody but it's just that is the uh, the way that you know things have trended the idea of being global from your from your mobile phone right. you know, with, with whatever you want to do or from your home uh it was a dream of mine i i, I remember having an interview with a uh, this is back in the early 90s um with a uh, a research company and the guy said you know what would be your dream job and i remember telling him i said my dream job would be to operate a radio station out of my house where i'd you know host the morning show it would be powered by uh, uh hydro you know from the stream that ran down uh you know alongside the the property and uh and that's what i would do and you know, his, the answer he wanted was, I want your job, sir. I want to be the manager. But, uh, you know, it, it, I didn't get the job. But the whole idea of it was, you know, it was just so completely foreign to anything that he was thinking about. Um, but it seemed like something which you know, would be great. Now, you know, people can do it. Yeah. And millions do. Yeah. The interesting thing is we've actually gone uh, kind of in a wave because I remember, um uh, talking to some folks at live365.com, which I don't even know sure, if that yeah. exists anymore, but that was a, uh, that gets into more streaming, but that was a streaming uh, mm-hmm. uh, stations that you could put on there and essentially be your own radio station. And yeah. I think they ran into uh, trouble with the uh, copyright with music and so forth, which they you did. Kind of alluded they, to. They, yeah. they ran out of money uh, and right. it just, uh, you know, they're one of the the many that fall by the wayside. The the one that's actually right. doing well now is Mixcloud, yeah, uh, which allows you to do it because you know they've they've covered the rights issue. They've they've linked up with Spotify in some way. So when you're creating a Mixcloud show, you're recording your voice stuff and then you're pulling the tracks from some sort of Spotify API or whatever. And uh, you know, so they get you know the the streaming audio people get their pennies for whatever um, right. you, know, you put on your show, and uh, yeah. that seems to be doing pretty well. Um, I have a friend who does a daily show. It's a Radio Hannibal uh, out of Cleveland. John Hannibal. He does a fantastic show every day. I'll oh, fantastic! Shout out there. Yeah, um, no, great. That's fantastic. And it's just so interesting how all this kind of came from um, just kind of like you mentioned, just people. I think a lot of people who started out early had some connection um, to uh, college radio or at least uh, radio in general. It right. sounds like that was your experience. You know, what's so, interesting with, with local radio stations and the radio industry in general is, you know, we're now talking about, what are we talking as the dawn of podcasting? 2008, 7, 9? I, I don't... When well, was I, I, um, I can tell you that I pulled my feed in uh, 2004 uh, and um, I got it from uh, Leo Laporte, if you know who Leo Laporte sure, is, absolutely. technology uh podcaster and that's when i kind of got onto the bandwagon um uh for this thing that was called they were calling podcasting uh, adam curry and mm-hmm. and dave weiner and so forth right uh, and so yeah pre-2004 i would say it, it was not um there was no term for it it was basically internet radio which is right. a term that i used uh for our our uh, material uh early on because essentially that's what a it was it was right radio on the internet yeah web hosted yeah you know essentially and yeah. not you know set up for a, for a download uh world right yeah which we, we came into okay so yeah. um 
in all those years, the broadcast radio people essentially ignored it. When (laughs) Adam Carolla left his on-air job in LA, when he was one of the people who replaced Howard Stern, and he started his own podcast, he said, well, hell, I can do this. He had a built-in base of listeners to bring over to it. And he slapped him right in the face, you know, because he was able to create his own empire, uh, literally. I mean, guy buys Lambos. uh, (laughs) He's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, and he was, you know, able to do that. And that was sort of like a kind of a wake up call for them. But but still, I mean, it took it took a long, long time because the mentality of a radio station was we are the only station you should be listening to ever. Right. You know, lock, turn it up and rip off the knob, you know, kind of an attitude. <laughs> right. And God forbid people know that there's another way to listen to music or audio <laughs> than on the radio station, unless somebody buys an, you know, an ad for an album, which people actually used to do, um, right. <laughs> which actually is a really fun search, by the way, is, uh, you know, coming up with radio commercials for albums, the Grateful oh, Dead okay. ads are out there. Um, in fact, some of the Grateful Dead ads, I think are, on the, the series they've done for Working Man's Dead in American Beauty called The Angel's Share, which is like oh. little snippets and outtakes of as they're building songs. But the, the commercials for those albums are on there and they are just weird. Oh, it's um, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. N- I've never heard one of those, to be honest with you. And when I was uh, in my youth, I don't remember an album advertising well, you gave on the me radio. a clue because you were um, talking about being in college as uh, the internet was coming uh, along yeah which uh, puts you about 15 years behind me i think so uh, <laughs> oh and, not maybe not quite i'm a slow learner so maybe oh. not quite 15 <laughs> okay well we don't have to reveal our ages <laughs> unless uh, you know they're checking yeah. these um but uh you know moving fast forward i i think that the radio people if i can pontificate on this a little more Sure. Um, we're much like the print journalist people, um, uh, the executives in charge who were, you know, have been in it 20, 30 years, the ones who really controlled stuff. And they were just, you know, managing their quarterly earnings. And gosh, can I get past this internet thing into retirement before I have to deal with it? Is <laughs> kind of, you know, the way that, uh, yeah, because you know, the world of news distribution was up for grabs starting in the 90s. And, you know, it could have gone to TV, to radio, to whoever, because the boundaries all of a sudden disappeared. You know, a radio station could do video, a, uh, you know, a newspaper. And and now, you know, the newspapers, you know, they do it. And they they figured out, okay, you know, if if we put some stuff behind the paywall, you know, a certain number of people will pay for it if it's good enough. But the reality is that of the thousands of newspapers in the country, many of them were not necessary for national news. Uh, You know, you have the New York Times, the Washington Post, maybe the Boston Globe, the Wall Street Journal, and you pretty much have everything you need as far as, you know, national and international news goes. Now, there's gonna be somebody who argues with that, but (laughs) the Des Moines Register or, you know, the Houston Chronicle or whatever, they're running the AP stories for that. So the opportunity, you know, remained to be, you know, local. Uh, and, And how do you deal with this? And when, you know, people started getting, you know, more and more of their local news or caring less and less about getting local news uh, and stopped cutting the subscriptions, which was a tremendous amount of the revenue. And, and really beyond that, the classified ads, which were the biggest source right. that got destroyed by Craigslist and, by Craigslist, and others. Yeah. 
And then, uh, you know, retail, which has been, you know, knocked down by the online shopping, which was, you know, the other big base. Mm -hmm. uh, car advertising used to be huge in newspapers. Right. Uh, but, you know, they, you know, now you go online and you research your, your car online. You walk in there knowing more than the salesperson. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, who's going to put an ad in the newspaper for, you know, a, a new Honda? It right. just, uh, you know, so what's my point here? My point is that it was all up for grabs. And the tech people took it. They, you know, jumped in and said, we've got technology. Let's hire some people who know how to deliver news or, or they, they could scrape the news. And, you know, there was all the squawk about Google putting deep links into stories and stuff like that because it circumvented, you know, the, uh, the, the front page or whatever. And it just, you know, it, it really has been, you know, an interesting evolution, but we're really getting off the track here as I ramble on. I was um, going to ask you a question here. So sure, please I know you had uh, uh, your experience out of radio was as an ad person, yeah. and then you got into the internet realm. I mean, tell me about the early, were you, were, did you make some attempts to try to uh, kind of bring the format over? I mean, what was your, what was your, uh, the early days for you uh, on experimentation? Was it just doing well, the content? On the, uh, yeah, on the uh, advertising side, when I left radio advertising and uh, got, you know, I, I was totally enthralled with the internet and there was not much internet happening in Baltimore. Now that, that would change as advertising.com came out of Baltimore. And, uh, and also there wasn't go much going on in DC. I had a great series of interviews with nationalgeographic.com in the very early days. And I thought this is going to be fantastic. They've got such a library of content and it has been for them. Uh, but the, um, there wasn't a whole lot going on. So I started my own thing and it was to be a, an email marketing service initially. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a friend of mine who ran a radio direct response advertising company called Target and Response. And he said, you know, what you're doing on the internet would be very interesting for our client TurboTax. I said, yeah, it would. Let's talk to him. So we talked to him and the guy says, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about what they're calling spam. I don't think we want to do unsolicited email. And I said, I understand that. It's really kind of a question now as to whether this is good or bad. This is 1996. And um, he said, but if you could do, you know, banner ads online and we'd pay you the same way we're doing for the radio stuff. And they paid on a cost per, they called it uh, per inquiry in radio, Excellent. which became a uh, you know, cost per action in the internet right. world. Uh, or cost per download or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we said, yeah, we can do that. And we hung up the phone and said, now how the hell do we do this? <laughs> so at the time, Intuit gave us 12 static landing pages mm -hmm. uh, you know, because they hadn't figured out virtual URLs to track things yet. Nobody had figured that out yet. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we had these 12 virtual landing pages and we started these TurboTax banners. And I went around to, oh gosh, uh, anybody who was active at the time, uh, GeoCities, DoubleClick, uh, you know, all the early internet ad players um, and uh, said, hey, would you consider running these and we'll pay you $35 for everybody who takes us up on this free software offer? Mm -hmm. Like it's a free offer? Yeah, they're giving the software away. They'll put it in a box and ship it to you because they were hoping you would buy the state version and right. then you'd be in their database for the next year. It was like, you know, right. the way that, you know, uh, DR uh, was working. Anyway, it worked really well. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody made some money and because, and this is the way that new media is always supported by direct response advertisers. Look at right. podcasting, same thing. 
all the early adopters of podcast advertising have been direct response advertisers. Mm-hmm. Podcasting has built brands for direct response people. I mean, it's a, almost a, you know, a joke now, you know, stamps.com, Casper mattresses, blue apron, you know, yeah. the, the whole list of ones you hear where they are looking use offer code, this offer code that, mm-hmm. um, and that's an imperfect system, but it works well enough that they can actually track things. Now, the way that the podcasters are handling it is they usually are charging cash and then the uh, marketer backs it out and says, okay, did we get enough on this promo code to justify continuing spending? Because it isn't, you know, quite a, uh, you know, a perfect, uh, you know, link through, Um, you know, an actual link in the show notes, you know, can be a perfect link if it's an affiliate link or whatever. But, um, you know, those are always the people, cable TV. Um, same story, you know, the, the direct response advertisers and they're still, you know, watch some late night TV uh, and it's the DR people who are on <laughs> sure. there because they are lead junkies. They will take any media at any time uh, as long as it is, you know, meeting their costs to acquire a customer and uh, you know, they're geniuses at it. And uh, you know, and so they'll, they'll try the new media and then eventually, you know, brands come around. I used to say that, you know, you, Coke has no reason to advertise on the internet you can't download a coca-cola right. uh, but you know now you know video ads you know that are out there in, in a alarming proportion to the amount of content you get you got to watch a 30 second video to watch a one minute news report and that's right. not the ratio of television no uh, it, you know, it's gotten worse and worse over the years you yeah, watch you're has. watching way more advertising now than you probably ever did in your life I saw a billboard ad the other days, you know, and it was for the billboard company. It says, you can't skip this ad (laughs) (laughs) or you you can drive past it. But, you know, it it just, if you read that, you know, they, they got you. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so that was really the way that, you know, I entered the internet was through uh, direct response advertising from an audio company, an audio focused, Mm -hmm. a radio advertising company and took not just TurboTax, but Sears Home Improvement. Um, ITT Technical Institutes, uh, a company called At Backup, uh, Tempur-Pedic. Tempur-Pedic <laughs> was, was just a direct response advertiser at that time, did not sell in stores. Uh, and we had, you know, you get a t- sample of the Tempur-Pedic foam, a video explaining it for free. Yeah. Uh, and they paid 75 bucks or something for the initial inquiries on radio. But we found out very quickly that it was much easier to to click on internet than it is to pull over your car, drop a quarter in the slot, make a phone call to a 1-800 number. Uh, And um, it's so that we had to adjust that um, because they they got killed at first, but you know, we adjusted it. And and again, it ran very (laughs) successfully for them. The impulsivity of the internet is such that if you're looking at it at that moment, it, it is so um, enticing that you Mm -hmm. just click on it. Yeah, and every year there were different things because we did TurboTax, which really was the test case, four years in a row. Uh, Tax season 97, where we had the 12 static landing pages. 98, where we had much more because we had the virtual URLs. 99 or 98 or 99 was really the rise of uh, email uh, lists where people had joke of the day or things like that, where they'd put the ad in there and those worked great. Uh, And then uh, the... Uh, incentivized ones where, you know, contest stuff or, you know, uh, the add-ons, the stuff that, you know, comes after somebody fills out something else and you have, Hey, how about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? And, <laughs> you know, and, and the whole list of things and, and the you know, affiliate marketing uh, began to be a thing at this point. Uh, and then, you know, 
closely followed by search engine marketing and uh, keyword stuff. We used um, GoTo and you know the early keyword uh, services uh, prior to to Google and uh, you know and all that stuff. So, and then we um, um, we moved on, and I, I took a different job, and I was kind of out of the audio realm for a while uh, into the late two thousands. 2007, 2008, when I was listening to Leo Laporte and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this week in tech and I was listening to uh, Corolla and it was like, this is, this is something I got to get a microphone and uh, <laughs> you know, it, or, you know, one that hooks up to my computer more easily and, uh, and do something about this. And uh, so I did. And the first project um, was something called dad's car radio, which is going to be revised very soon. Um, dad's car radio was, um, based on myself driving my daughter to school and, okay. uh, I, I would, you know, talk up tunes and pop in the CD. Yeah. We're on the way to school with Chelsea. It's 64 <laughs> degrees and 20 minutes before eight. And we should make it on time. Here are the kinks father Christmas and would play a song for her. And then she would play something. I'm like, you know, Chelsea, this is actually a remake of an older song. And you know, we, we just have this back and forth, you know, stuff in the car, not recording it. Uh, but it was just like, you know, we just called it dad's car radio. Yeah. And um, so I registered the domain and, uh, and I, I, we did a few shows and uh, it, it, it's something where it, it, this is where it gets interesting is that it was just sitting there and doing nothing. And my daughter wanted to meet a guy in a band and uh, uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Drew in, in a band called Never Shout Never. And I said, well, you know, Chelsea, um, she was probably... 15 at the time um we have dad's car radio and if you start posting stuff on there uh you know and making it active i mean the musicians have to pay attention to fans now uh you know they they, they're you know social media has become you know really important and, and blogs are really important and so if you post you know articles and stuff about music on there and then you reach out to a road manager and you say who you are and you want to you know interview this person you know it could happen well the amazing thing is bragging about my daughter is she actually did it uh she posted stuff and then she tracked down the road manager for this thing and we traveled up and uh, the first time it didn't happen so the second time we traveled up to philadelphia from baltimore on a school night because her grandmother said i should do it uh so when (laughs) nanny said i should do it i did and she got to do this interview backstage i held the camera it's a video interview and as part of it, he debuted a new song. He and this other guy was you know, in the band with him. Went home, we were just like, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, flying, you know, cause it just went so well, it was so exciting. And came home and she posted it up to, uh, to YouTube, both of mm-hmm. them, just the song by itself in the interview. And within a couple of days, there were a couple thousand views and it kept oh. going. And cause this, this, guy had a really strong fan base and it started getting shared and started going up it got to the point where she was invited to be in the google partner program and could put ads up there went mm-hmm. to i don't know what the final count was but and i think it's still up there um it was a, a half a million or more on both of them and it was just something wow. which was you know so fortuitous because it was a, it was a new song it hadn't been released yet and the fans you know shared it to each other oh and, and, so they and, got the, and the whole interview sneak preview yeah, exactly. And so the the long story short of this is my daughter now works for a social media company creating video for brands. Uh, she's now 29 and, uh, and you know, doing great. She has pursued 
her creativity. Uh, and it's not a 100% result of dad's car radio, uh, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was certainly a start. You know, Inspirational. Yeah, exactly. Dad's Just car the, radio it, could be a name of a band, to be honest with yeah, you. Could, dad's car. What's the name of your band? Dad's car radio. Yeah. Well, my band, my band <laughs> name is, is, is thought balloons. So, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's one of them. And then the dangerous assumptions, that's the punk group. Uh, but you know, okay. they don't, they don't actually have music. Uh, anyway, we digress, but that, that actually, I, I think is important because what it, it showed her was if you create something, it can find an audience. Sure. And, you know, she went on to go to film school and, you know, and, won the student film festival and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just something where she was able to really understand that um, pursuing something, you know, would, would get you somewhere. And, and also she got, um, there was one thing she posted, which ended up being controversial in a way. Um, it was this short video she did for school about the Kohenor diamond, which is this big, huge diamond that was mined in India and the Britons took it. It's in England. They right. want it back. Sure. Uh, and so, so, you know, she posted this story about the Kohinoor diamond and, you know, the post curse. And it was like a little mini play. And there was, I mean, you get these people from India going, this is, it's older than, they stole it. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 all the antiquities have been stolen in Egypt yeah. and all over the place. Yeah. There, there are other countries that uh, had the uh, but from, but from military she, might to do so at the time, I guess. She learned uh, how to deal with haters. Uh, oh, and, okay. and people who, you know, responded negatively to you because you can never expect to push people positively without pushing some people negatively. Uh, and what I, what I would call the Howard Cosell method, perhaps. Yeah, sure. Maybe if Absolutely. You were in the 70s. Oh, you are older. <laughs> uh, the, uh, um, but yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the other one about people who complain about stuff is nobody calls the dairy to tell them the milk is fresh. Yeah. you know that's it, a it good just, one yeah it, it is and that's something which came from a radio program director uh, years ago um but uh, well, you know it, tell me more about uh the independent podcast alliance here happy to, you, yeah tell sure. me a little bit more about that because i know this is something that this is kind of how i happened upon you right and doing some research uh besides you know that the other stuff in your background that uh, triggered that but but uh, it, it's an interesting idea. And I, I'm curious, everybody else sure. be curious about it too. The Independent Podcast Alliance, um, my initial idea in starting a podcasting business was to do, guess what? A direct response advertising business. <laughs> uh, hey, what works, called, well, it works, it works. Right? Yeah, that so. was called adsforpodcasts.com. And I'd started that with the idea of bringing these, we'll pay you when something happens ads to independent podcasters, people who weren't big enough to be part of any of the networks, who wouldn't know how to call an advertising agency and find a media buyer if their life depended on it. Um, not because they wouldn't be capable, but they just didn't know. And so it's like, okay, I'm gonna get these advertisers, I'm gonna work the deal, and then I'm gonna get it out there to podcasters. And after doing this for a little while, it quickly became apparent that the dollar here and dollar there, that a person with several hundred listens you know, per episode or a thousand even, wasn't going to get them anywhere, even at $20 a thousand. If you, got, if you build a podcast on your own to a thousand listeners, you've done something pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. uh, because the average, I think, is like 150, 140, somewhere there is the last number I saw. But if you, if you actually can do that, but what are you going to, an ad at a $20 CPM, my God, what it took you to get to a thousand people, you know, it, it's, you know, you got to be in it for the love to begin with. 
So the idea was, okay, this ad thing isn't going to work for these independents and all the other networks, you know, that take a minimum of 5,000 or whatever, they're, they're there and this is going to happen. And um, the true story is I, I had an eye injury. I had a detached retina. And when you have a detached retina, the recovery, the injury isn't painful, but the recovery is tedious because you are head down like this for 16 hours a day. Every hour you can be looking up for five minutes because the retina has to reattach to your eye. There's a gas bubble in there holding it in place. And so I'm, I'm here like head down for hours and a lot of time to think. And I thought, you know, what these people really need is they need each other. They need ways to find, you know, guests to cross promote, to uh, interact, to share what works, to, you know, be not in business together, but to be allies, to be an alliance. And I thought independent podcast alliance. And I put my head up long enough to register podcastalliance.org and made it a .org um, on purpose. I also own .net, but you know, I, everything's based on podcastalliance.org. And I started promoting it, saying, hey, join us over here, Independent Podcast Alliance. You're an independent podcaster. If you're not working for NPR or iHeart or you know, New York Times or you know, Art19 or whoever, uh, any of the, the organizations which are funded and have, have distribution methods, um, you know, come join us. And if you consider yourself independent, you know, maybe you work for a local radio station, but you're not, you know, part of, a, you know, again, iHeart or Cumulus or whatever, join, be a part of it. And we'll do what we can to, to hook you up with people. So we're now at about a little over a thousand members. It's free to join. Um, and the idea was that as we, you know, got to a point, we would, uh, you know, be able to offer, services, um, be it production service or booking service or, you know, a discount on equipment, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that was you know, the idea of how it could potentially monetize. Uh, it was also the idea of potentially doing a membership, uh, you know, idea for, you know, a VIP or, or whatever. And one of the things which has actually uh, worked well is the, um, the promotion that we do in the um, outbound newsletter um, that goes out via email to people. And uh, we'll list a few in podcasts of note. And now you, know, you can buy a position in there if you want your podcast promoted to these other podcasters. Uh, and, and beyond that, you know, it's a small fee, but uh, you know, it goes out and it gets read. Uh, and so that's kind of where it is. And where it goes in the future, the way I'm seeing it is to, um, to really re-engage with it and to expand to the alliance uh, to other people who are doing similar things. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, to good pods, who's been a partner with us, uh, and pod chaser, the ones that, you know, are, are listing the various podcasts and, and then also to things like the Hispanic podcast Alliance, the, uh, the black podcast Alliance, the Chinese podcast, you know, group, um, they're all, they're not necessarily called alliances, but they have, uh, there are organizations, um, the, the, uh, she podcasts, the one, which is all women podcasters, we need to work together even more because as happens in the evolution of media every time you have independents and pioneers and tech people out there first and then once there's real money to be made the big ones jump in you look at the top right. podcasts and you know it's it's the new york times it's npr it's people who have other distribution promotion methods right. um which kind of leads to the question of of monetizing a podcast 
uh, and really it's it's really difficult to do it with advertising uh, you know unless you have a, a real solid audience or a super super niche but you can do it with um, revenue shared things you can where you're promoting somebody's you know product where it's uh, you know you're really getting behind it and you believe in it and they're you know, doing, it's kind of like the affiliate model, but not 4%, it's like 50%. Uh, and really the best thing is uh, promoting your existing business uh, is really the one that, that really is probably for most people, the most um, you know, lucrative form if you're trying to make money with your podcast. Uh, there are people who do merch. There are people who do bumper stickers. Uh, there are people who do all sorts of things like that. And but really what the Alliance is all about is sharing, I hate the term, but best practices uh, or, or just even practices that worked, uh, you know, the, the putting stickers up at the local coffee shop work. Well, we'd like to know that, uh, you know, and so there's once you sign up for the podcast Alliance, uh, you'll get an automatic email, which directs you to a private networking group we have uh, mm -hmm. and uh, which is kind of like a Facebook group without Facebook. Uh, and then we are also on Facebook and, and Twitter at ads for podcasts is the, the Twitter handle. I kept that because that was one that built up. There's over 10,000 Twitter followers, which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they're mostly podcasters because uh, that's who I've looked for. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and there are others, but it's something where, again, the future of it really is going to depend on the members because the next step before the Alliance of Alliances is, uh, reaching out uh, to the member base because I have uh, got other things I need to do <laughs> to make money. Uh, and, uh, and what I want to do is bring in some of the people who are the more active members to help guide and run uh, and to take it to another level uh, and to, you know, make them, you know, partners in the organization. So yeah. that's something which is going to be happening there. Well, Peter, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. And it's such an interesting journey from uh, your beginnings uh, doing sneaker net from the uh, dorm sets and uh, eight track tapes uh, all the way up into today and in the independent podcast Alliance. I really appreciate you taking the time and thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time on the podcast.